Welcome to Innovational Correctness, a podcast all about innovation and transformation, hosted by David Luna, author, keynote speaker, and founder of Gamma Digital and Beyond. David and his guests discuss real-world practical advice on how to best harness the creativity of your employees and go from idea to product, giving you unique perspectives and insights into their success, all while separating hype from reality and replacing bullshit bingo with common sense. Let's jump right into the show. Welcome back. This is another episode of Innovational Correctness. And in this very jam-packed episode, we will explore why companies, especially in Germany, are focusing on the wrong thing when it comes to digital transformation, why the over-reliance on technology can actually massively hurt your company. I'll do this by citing various examples from vastly different industries and fields, why companies are not and will not become innovative by simply using technology and why there's little opportunity to gain a lasting competitive advantage against your competitors. And then we'll take a look at the very dangerous assumptions of why, despite the increased importance of IT, that does not necessarily translate into a lasting competitive advantage and what distinguishes proprietary from infrastructural technologies, how competitive advantages erode over time by looking at some past technologies, what makes IT a simple commodity input and not a strategic advantage to enterprises, why companies need to focus on threats rather than opportunities and should keep IT expenditure in check, and finally, why companies should not be first movers and why there's no shame in following your competitors when it comes to adopting new IT technologies. So as you can see, we have a lot of ground to cover, but uh, don't be afraid. I'll take you along for the ride and explain the uh, concepts uh, as we move along. So without further ado, Let's get cracking. So to start, I want to discuss why I think companies, especially in Germany, are focusing on the wrong thing when it comes to technology. And I'll explain why I believe technology matters a lot less than many want to believe. And to do this, I'll be citing a few examples. But before we go into detail, I think we can all agree that technology has been a major driver for progress and has been hugely beneficial to us human species. It has also allowed us to create one of the most powerful mediums ever devised by human intelligence, allowing us to look up any information we want or to communicate with anybody in the world in near real time. And we can even send memes and cat videos to companies and completely destroy their productivity if we so wish. But despite all these possibilities that we have through technology, we have often had the tendency to over-rely on technology to solve our problems. And the first example that I would like to cite is the U.S. military. Now, I don't want to get into any politics, and I want you to completely ignore any animosities you might have towards the military or that particular country, I'm simply using this example to illustrate a point. I'm sure we can all agree that the U.S. military is one of the, if not the most powerful and technologically advanced militaries in the world, but the greater the strength, the greater the weakness, as an old adage goes. And by being so technologically focused, the U.S. over-relies and is often overconfident when it comes to such technology. And we've seen this in the Afghanistan war, where the U.S. had trouble with asymmetric warfare, or also called guerrilla warfare, despite being so massively technologically advanced compared to its enemy. Ironically, the Pentagon has already recognized this problem of over-reliance on technology back in the Vietnam War. During this war, the Defense Department saw a much higher loss rate in air combat when they compared it to previous wars. So, consequently, research was conducted to find out the causes of these shortcomings, and one study concluded that the 
problem was was one of technology and responded by upgrading its F4 Phantom uh, two jets. That was the, the jet they used at the time. But another study came to a very different conclusion. It concluded basically that the problem stemmed more from inadequate air combat maneuvering or dogfighting skills in layman terms. Hence, the U.S. Navy Fighter Weapons School, or Top Gun as it's known, was created to specifically focus on the essential and fundamental skill necessary to win air combat fights. Now, the second example I would like to cite is photography and videography. This market has been flooded with exciting new innovations such as video drones from DJI, stabilized gimbal or mirrorless cameras that often rival the performance of traditional DSLRs. And all this has continued to essentially democratize photography and videography, making the skills to create high-quality content more accessible to more people, as well as making it much more affordable as well. You can see that young people are getting into the space and creating their own content, but you can see an increasing amount of people focusing on more on technology rather than skill. You know, just think of YouTube videos where YouTubers review the newest feature of the newest cameras. And even though they have smooth and cool gimbal shots in their videos, the end result is often still very incoherent and messy. These people simply fail to learn and apply the fundamentals, relying more on technology to compensate for their lack of skills. This creates an even bigger problem because the technology made videography much more accessible. It has also created a lot more competition. Now, everyone is creating high-quality content, and thus the quality of content goes down the more people go into the space. So to stay ahead, you need to focus and start with the fundamentals. And to drive this point home even further, I had a friend back in high school, and she wanted to enter a photo competition, but was afraid that her 10-year-old camera was just too old to actually be eligible to win. So I encouraged her to still enter the competition because, in my humble opinion, I thought she was a really good photographer because she knew the basics, she knew the exposure triangle, she did excellent composition of photos, and that she shouldn't really be worried about her camera because it's just not the camera that makes the photo. If that were the case, well, then I just need to buy the most expensive camera and I'm automatically a pro photographer. Well, how easy would that be? And, long story short, she won the competition by a fair margin. Now, before you think about investing into new technology or platforms, learn the fundamentals before you apply more technology. Because what the hell are you doing? It doesn't make sense to spend thousands of euros into high-quality camera gear before you haven't even developed your own style of shooting. Do you like landscape? Do you like street photography? Maybe you don't even know that. So buying the best camera does nothing for you if you lack the skills. The same applies for companies. German companies in particular focus too much on technology and spend lots of time analyzing what technology they should build their platform on or what digital products they should build with a specific technology. All this is completely irrelevant for the first, second, or even third step. Instead, get the fundamentals and essentials out of the way first. What does the customer need, not want? What does the customer value the most and why? And what are the major pain points that your customer has? Spend at least two, three months at minimum on these questions and actually listen to the customer before you assume you know what the problem is. Now, this brings me to my third example, which is airport security. We've all been to airports, and a good example to illustrate this point is the Ben-Gurion International Airport in Israel. This particular airport has been the target of several terrorist attacks, yet no attempts to hijack a plane departing from Ben-Gurion Airport has ever succeeded. So, how do the Israelis achieve such an awesome track record? Well, they don't use any highly advanced technology, despite them using basic 
X-ray scanners, their security mainly relies on the human factor. So police officers and Israeli Defense Force soldiers, uniformed and undercover, and try to maintain a high level of visibility and vigilance. They also employ highly trained officials that conduct interviews with boarding passengers, and based on their psychological responses, will further question them up to an hour if needed. And even American airports officials regularly hire Israeli security consultants because their methods are so effective at thwarting these terrorist attacks. Granted, they also do use highly controversial tactics such as racial profiling, but my point still stands. Now, another example I want to cite is 3M, a corporation that produces adhesive, tape, and packaging, uh, among other products, and they were looking for a new type of packaging. So they conducted customer interviews and were asking customers what their problems were with packaging. Now, the funny thing is they realized later on is the customer didn't really articulate their main problem because they took it for granted that packaging looks always rectangular. So a packaging or a package always has a rectangular form. So they didn't articulate that because they just assumed that's the way things have to be. So the point I'm trying to get across here is don't assume you know what the customer wants and build the product or Pell platform. Often the customer does not know what they want. They can't even articulate it. So you have to find out not what they want, but what they really need. And so essentially 3M had a packaging which just glued two pieces together and would form around the product you were packaging. So pretty clever, but that's also something you have to keep in mind. And a lot of companies tend to focus more on the technology and the solution side instead of actually doing the fundamentals and doing the homework. And the last example I want to cite comes from India. And it's the story of the double wallas. And this double wallas basically constitute a lunchbox delivery and return system that delivers hot lunches from homes uh, or restaurants to people at work in India. Now, the interesting part here is that the double wallas, so the people delivering and conducting the food delivery service, are mostly completely illiterate. They use no technology whatsoever, and they use a color coding system. But they're so effective at delivering lunches from A to B, and yet from these approximately 200,000 lunch deliveries every year just for Mumbai, they hardly make any mistakes, despite the double wallas being illiterate and having just a simple color coding system to bring the lunch from A to B. Quite amazing. So what do we learn from these examples so far? And what are the key learnings that we should take away from all of this? Well, for one, and this should be the most obvious one, don't rely on technology to solve your fundamental or essential problems or try to compensate your inadequate competencies of yourself or your companies. And remember that technology is only an enabler and will amplify the skills or competencies that your company has or the lack thereof. So learn the fundamentals first and get the essentials out of the way first before you even think about technology. And furthermore, simply just having access to technology doesn't make you a better artist. Having a paintbrush doesn't make you Picasso. Just because you buy the most advanced camera doesn't make you a pro photographer. Or simply buying a Formula One race car, if you could afford one, doesn't make you Michael Schumacher. Now, this seems obvious, but just because a certain technology makes skills more accessible doesn't make it any easier and can even be a disadvantage to beginners that are still learning the fundamental skills to reach a professional level. So restricting access to features and fancy tech would actually be a much more better option for beginners because they're not confused by options and features. Instead, maybe if, we're, if we stay at the example of photography, exposure triangle, have three dials and you're done. And then and learn the fundamentals. But the increased accessibility of these technologies creates an even bigger problem now. Now that we 
have all these technologies such as videography that are much more accessible, it has also created a lot more competition, has flooded the market with content. Now everyone is creating high quality content in 4K. Having constraints or putting them in place helps people become more creative, especially when it comes to innovation. There's an old German proverb that says, Not macht erfinderisch. So necessity begets ingenuity. And there is a very hard truth in that. So to sum it up, there are no shortcuts in life. Sure, technology can make things simpler and to, to start and make things more accessible for more people, but it will not make you an expert. If there is a technology that can accomplish this, then that market would be flooded with experts driving the prices down, or it would be automated altogether. So you see what you need to do. The one that focuses on the fundamentals and gets that right and is a professional in at that level, you can give him good technology and he will create amazing results. But the other way around does not work. And we often tend to forget that, especially companies. Now, let's discuss why companies are not and will not become innovative by just by simply using technology or IT and why there's very little opportunity to gain a lasting competitive advantage against your competitors. So essentially why IT is very important or even crucial, but it doesn't really matter. Now let's explore that thesis in a little more detail. Before we continue, we should actually first start to define and clarify a few important terms that I'll be using throughout this episode. When I use the term IT or information technology, I use it in the most basic form, which includes technology used for storing, retrieving, transmitting, and uh, even manipulating data. And when the more generic term technology is used, I will refer to the technology such as hard and software that are used within the context of IT. So if you think you will be innovative by simply using technology as a competitive advantage that's going to last, well, then you're in for a rude wake-up call. Now, most agencies and digital consultancies and technology companies, for that matter, would probably strongly uh, disagree with that argument for, for obvious reasons. They wouldn't want this idea to be broadly disseminated among informed companies as this would reduce their product or service to a mere commodity. Now, remember, the aforementioned companies have vested interest in selling lots of IT products and services to businesses, especially with all the hype around digital transformation. Now, nowadays, every company has something to offer for this overhyped and almost overused topic. And of course, these vendors are going to market their technology offerings as something with which companies can gain a competitive advantage with. But let's be honest, competitors are quite good at copying technological innovation. But let's let's start from the beginning and explain my reasoning behind this argument. So why does the increased importance of IT not directly translate into a lasting competitive advantage? Well, ever since the invention of the first microprocessor in the uh, 1960s, I believe, uh, it created many technological breakthroughs ranging from personal computers, PCs, LANs, WANs, smartphones, software, and of course, the internet, all of which have transformed the world in one way or another. And today, no one would probably dispute that these te technologies have become the backbone of our economy. It connects individuals and local businesses to their supply chains and to customers they serve around the globe. And almost all revenue today comprises or are derived from computer technology. And companies have come to view this technology as absolute critical for good reasons uh, to conduct their business. This fact is also reflected by Gartner's worldwide IT spending forecast, where IT expenditure has projected to be $3.6 trillion in 2018. Now, companies' relationship with 
IT goes actually much further than simple spending figures. How executives essentially view IT today has also completely and dramatically changed over the past 30 or even 40 years. Before, top executives regarded computers as uh, glorified typewriters that their lower ranks, meaning secretaries and data analysts, used to perform their job. Back then, it was actually pretty rare for C-level executives to even touch computers themselves. And even today, you're still on rare occasions, obviously, uh, CCOs have their secretaries print out their emails for them. Fast forward until today, and all this has dramatically changed. C-level executives not only view IT as a strategic advantage with which they can gain a competitive edge by incorporating IT into their business model, but also with the recent digitalization movement, this view has also been much more pervasive. Most CTOs even hire IT and strategy consultants to help them leverage their IT investments to differentiate themselves and gain an advantage from their competitors. But behind this view lies a very faulty and dangerous assumption, one that assumes that because the importance and availability of IT has increased, so too has its strategic importance. Even though this assumption, granted, seems very plausible and even intuitive, it's still wrong. What makes technology, or any resource for that matter, truly strategic and creates a sustained competitive advantage is not its ubiquity, but its scarcity. And this is an important point. A company can only gain a competitive competitive advantage when it does something that their competitors don't have or simply can't replicate. Now, granted, some companies use technology more intelligently than others, but that's certainly true in a valid point, but that's also true for any other business resource. So this fact in itself does not tell you whether the resource itself provides any kind of strategic advantage or has any kind of strategic value. Now, let's look at how competitive advantages erode over time and will use history uh, as a teacher. Before we can actually go into detail about the erosion of competitive advantage, we need to distinguish two terms. One is proprietary technology from infrastructural technology. And in simple terms, proprietary technology are owned by a single company. A good example of this would be, say, a patent that is held by, for example, a pharmaceutical company for a specific active ingredient in a uh, drug. The same applies for a process or any kind of material. So if a manufacturer develops an innovative process or material that its competitors find hard to replicate, it has a long-term strategic advantage. Makes sense, right? As long as it can, as long as this remains a protected and proprietary technology, it enables this company to earn higher profits than its competitors. Now, infrastructural technology, on the other hand, provide far more value when it's shared than when it's used by a single company. And to illustrate this point, let's assume a company in the early 19th century had all the technology patents to create a railroad. This would allow it to build a proprietary railroad network between its supply chain and its factories using its own trains and carriages. And it would probably operate much more efficiently than with multiple operators involved. But for the economy as a whole, the value created by such a scenario would be insignificant compared to the value it would create by an open railroad network connecting much more companies 
and potential buyers and customers, these inherent characteristics in economics of infrastructural technology make it almost inevitable that technologies such as railroads, telephone lines, or even electricity will be shared with all and become part of the overall business infrastructure. And one important point to, to make here is, in the beginning, an infrastructural technology acts more like a proprietary technology. And this is due to the fact that technology in the early stages is often limited in terms of access through physical limitations, intellectual property rights, high costs, or simply a lack of standards. And during this time, a company can actually use this technology to gain a competitive advantage over its rivals. And this is exactly what happened during the construction of the first electric power station in the 1880s and the electrical grid in the early 20th century. Electricity was still very scarce during that time frame. And as such, manufacturers that were able to use electricity by building their factories close to the power generating station gained an, an, an advantage over its rivals. So by having a superior grasp of new technology, companies can steal market share from their competitors. Again, the early introduction of electrical power serves as an exam excellent example. Up until the 19th century, most factories ran on water pressure or steam to operate their machines. Power came from a single fixed source, so essentially a water wheel mounted to the side of a mill and required a you know complex set of gears to distribute it to each individual machine throughout the factory. However, when electric generators became available, many factories simply adopted them as a replacement for their single power source, using them to power their existing system of gears. Manufacturers that recognized the potential of the new technology, however, realized that the electricity could easily be connected directly to the machine itself. And by installing electric motors in their machines, they were able to throw out the inflexible and very expensive gear systems, making them overall more efficient than their slower counterparts or their competitors. But beyond helping companies operate more efficiently, infrastructural technologies also enable large market changes as well. During the construction of the first railroads, it was already possible to transport goods over long distances via steamships. So most companies assumed that rail transport would just be an incremental improvement over the steamship. However, the greater speed, capacity, and, and reach of these trains fundamentally changed the American industry. Instead of simply shipping raw materials, it became commercially viable to ship finished products over long distances, essentially creating the mass consumer market. Companies that were quick to capitalize on this opportunity built large-scale mass production factories, which really allowed them to put smaller and local factories out of business. The problem, however, is that managers and CEOs falsely believe that these advantages will continue indefinitely. But in reality, these advantages from infrastructural technologies only last very briefly. Once one such technology begins to have broad appeal, its build-out and maturity increases at an almost exponential rate, as we've seen with railroads, telegraphs, and even power lines. So essentially, the question becomes, how long can your or a company keep those advantages proprietary? So as we've seen up until now, it's very important to take into account the development over time where technology becomes more standardized and as innovation progresses, its ability to provide these companies with a distinction or a distinctive advantage that can be used to defend against their competition. 
fades. Once the buildup begins to subside, the opportunity to gain a competitive advantage from a particular technology have mostly vanished. As the investment increases, so does the competition, leaning to more overall capacity, falling prices, making the technology broadly accessible and much more affordable. So at this point, the market forces users to adopt the universally agreed standards, rendering proprietary alternatives obsolete. Even more, both technology and its use, often in the form of uh, best practices, essentially become commoditized. So for a short period, these infrastructural technologies can indeed provide innovative companies with real competitive advantages. But as the availability of these technologies increases and their associated costs decrease, they quickly become commodities. From a strategic standpoint, they don't really matter anymore. And the same thing is happening with today's digital technologies. The cost of storage, cloud computing, and other services have not only become much more affordable, but also accessible to almost all. The same is also currently happening with technologies such as machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, you name it. Think of machine learning via AWS or AI via Google Cloud. What is a strategic resource will quickly become a commodity. And a simple cost of doing business that must be paid by all, but does not really provide any unique advantage over other participants. Now, I'm sure that many will agree with part of the argument in that technology is becoming a commodity in certain areas, but there's innovation happening at other levels, and that combining technology and innovation really does lead to a competitive advantage. These people will also sometimes cite few, a few examples from companies that they perceive to be ahead of the competition because they use technologies so effectively. And yes, without a question, there are advantages when companies are very adept or very good at utilizing technology. But by simply reducing their competitive advantage to the superior use of technology actually does them a huge disservice. Instead, their competitive advantage comes from a very distinctive and basic business model, which were often developed before the use of any particular technology. A lot of the innovative use of technology, as well as many other resources in processes are needed to increase and strengthen a company's advantage. So as you can see, IT is actually the ultimate commodity and has all the characteristics of an infrastructural technology. Its inherent characteristic lend itself to actually even more or faster rates of commoditization. So in simple terms, IT is a digital transport medium by which information is essentially carried from point A to point B, just like railroads or power grids carry goods and electricity. And as such, it is much more valuable when it's shared than when it's used in isolation. And if we take a brief look at the history of IT, we can also see that interconnectivity and interoperability have increased over time from large mainframes and time-sharing models to standard PCs, LANs, WANs, and the internet itself. And each evolution created more standardization. Today's enterprises try to avoid customizations of their IT systems uh, as the benefits would massively be outweighed by the cost of isolation. IT is highly scalable and in most cases at virtually no or little cost to a point where proprietary systems and applications are almost doomed to fail. IT can actually be considered the perfect commodity, perfectly reproducible at the byte level. And when companies buy standard software applications, they actually also purchase business processes embedded into that software as well, making these two essentially replicable. So the cost saving and benefits of inter 
interoperability from generic applications far outweigh the advantages of customization in most cases. Once a company outsources a process, they're essentially giving it away to a vendor who can then replicate it for many different companies and including your competitors. So if you're a company that distinguishes itself by the superior use of processes, your traditional advantages will erode by simply outsourcing IT processes and will bring other companies to competitive parity. Well, there's a catch-22 if I ever saw one. But the actual large productivity gains come much earlier with the first iterations of that technology. Sure, it might take some time, and it usually does, to change a company's organization and processes to take advantage of those technologies. But man... Once the process has been automated and the additional returns from a new advance is in the, and that the process automation goes down very quickly. One can observe this progression of commoditization in hardened software, moving from fairly complex to more standardized hardware, or from fairly complex enterprise application to simple standard software. And the internet has even further accelerated this commoditization of IT by essentially providing a distribution channel for generic software. It's almost the norm for companies to fulfill all their IT needs by purchasing web-based services from third-party vendors, similar to how they currently buy electricity or telecommunication services. Large technology businesses such as Microsoft or IBM are even trying to position themselves as IT utilities, providing companies with all their essential business applications. Lastly, Moore's Law predicts that the number of transistors will double every two years, increasing the available processing power at a fraction of the cost. Now, over the last decades, Moore's Law has actually shown us exactly that. Technological progress advances at an exponential pace, but at the same time, the cost of this technology comes down almost equally as fast. So these massively decreased costs have essentially democratized computer technology, but has also leveled market entry barriers for competition. Even the most state-of-the-art IT system quickly becomes available for all to enjoy. So it shouldn't come to a surprise that IT has not only closely mimicked the build-out of past infrastructural technologies, but has also been equally as impressive. And yeah, we'll continue to see infrastructural innovation, but this infrastructure will be shared by all companies and will become much more reliable and more efficient over time. And they're not going to be proprietary to a single business. Now let's move on to why companies should not be first movers when adopting new technology or IT specifically. Just like previous infrastructural technology, IT provided earlier adopters with competitive advantages in the early build-out phases when it could still be owned, similar to proprietary proprietary technology. This was the case when mainframe computers were still in use. Some of these innovative systems used proprietary software that ran on mainframe computers, effectively locking out competitors, leading to better financial results for companies that could utilize them. These competitive advantages are only possible because they capitalize on characteristics of infrastructural technology that are common in the early stages, which are mainly associated by high cost and the lack of standardization. Now, some of these examples that have gained such, such advantages in the past were American Airlines with its Sabra reservation system, Federal Express with its package tracking system, or Reuters with its financial information network in the uh, 1970s. They were all able to gain a specific advantage to leapfrog the competition in one key area. But the barriers that proprietary applications and systems provide in the early stage against competition can actually design 
dissolve quite rapidly, sometimes within just a few years, making it very unattractive to end users and uneconomical to their owners. Now, this quickly leads to the competitive advantage to become a liability rather than an asset. Now, nowadays, the opportunity of gaining IT advantages are already decreasing. Best practices are becoming replicated in software or otherwise, and sure, you'll find industries and markets uh, that will continue to evolve and some will completely transform, similar to what we've seen in the music or media industry. But if it's one thing that history has taught us over and over again, it's that the power of infrastructural technology to transform industries and markets always decreases as technology becomes more accessible to all. Now, obviously, nobody can predict exactly when a build-out of a particular infrastructural technology is nearing its end, but there are many indicators that show that the build-out is closer to its end rather than its beginning. And I'll name uh, five five examples. When the technology outperforms or oversatisfy customer needs or also leaving room for disruptors to enter the market, that's one sign. A uh, second sign is the price of fundamental IT needs has reached a level where it's affordable to almost everyone. Not most, but almost everyone. Third, the total capacity has met or is outstripping the demand. Uh, or fourth point is IT vendors try to position themselves as commodity suppliers or even as utilities. You know, think of Microsoft or even IBM. And lastly, the most obvious sign is when the investment bubble pops. Even in this environment, there might still be a few companies left that are able to gain an advantage from highly specialized applications, but those will remain the exception rather than the norm. So what should companies do instead? Now, when we take a look at how infrastructural technologies have evolved throughout history, we can clearly see that these technologies have stopped to provide the basis for any real competitive advantage but yet these technologies are still extremely important in that all companies have to maintain competitive parity and have to continue to invest large sums of money, but their ability to distinguish themselves from the competition diminishes. So focusing on threats rather than opportunity is one strategy. Companies are not going to gain any long-term competitive advantage through the distinctive use of technology, but they can certainly put themselves at a disadvantage by using it carelessly or by disregarding things like security or other vulnerabilities. And therefore, companies should spend less on technology and instead focus more on threats rather than opportunities. And if it's one thing you should learn from this podcast episode, it's this. Once a technology or any resource for that matter becomes essential to stay competitive but insignificant to the overall strategy, the risk it creates becomes more important than the benefit it provides. Now, no, nobody or no company in the world builds its strategy around the usage of electricity. But even a short blackout can have devastating effects. The same applies to IT systems. Even small, a small disruption in its operation or a security vulnerability can have debilitating effects on a company. In severe cases, the company can lose its ability to make or even deliver products, damaging its reputation and often costing them millions of dollars or euros. Now, the task of ensuring what could go wrong is certainly not as sexy as speculating about the next big thing or or blockchain, but arguably the more crucial one. But the more important task, albeit not the obvious one, is overspending on IT, which brings me to my second point or second strategy on what to do is keeping IT spending in check and having a little bit of patience. Now, there are many examples of companies introducing SAP, for example, that have gone bankrupt from this decision and essentially overspending on this particular technology. Even though IT is a commodity and its costs continue to fall, the, the fact that IT 
is essentially integrated into every major business function also means it will continue to consume large parts of corporate spending budgets. Simply staying in business often requires large investments in IT. So therefore, it's important to distinguish essential investments from the ones that are unnecessary or even counterproductive. So again, when a resource becomes critical to stay competitive, but insignificant to the strategy, the risk it creates becomes more important than the benefits it can provide. If a company can't capitalize on the innovative use of a new technology to defend this advantage for any significant period of time in order to pay back those higher upfront costs for being a first mover, then it makes much more sense to wait until the costs have gone down. Now, there's no shame in in, in letting your competitors make the mistakes, take on the risks as technology matures and standards have become more reliable, while at the same time, the costs go down and you can achieve the same level of capability for much less money. You know, think of a new car versus a car that has only been used for a couple of weeks, how the costs go down, but you have essentially the same car. All companies need to employ this strategy and all they need to do is a little bit of patience. So in most cases, the tortoise beats the hare. Now on a more practical level, companies need to pay much more attention to the ROI of their IT investments. Even years ago, the processing power of computers and the features of the most used applications have, I think, reached a level that is more than sufficient for, say, 90% of the employees. And in addition, more and more applications are becoming available or are available as web services, only requiring a simple web browser to use. I personally use Google Docs for almost everything. Now, despite this fact, companies continue to spend roughly the same amount on hard and software upgrades instead of looking for cheaper or even open source source alternatives. But I mean, let's be fair, There's also this is also due to the fact that IT vendors have become extremely good at convincing enterprises to upgrade their more than adequate IT systems. Companies similar to consumers have a uh, what we call a fear of missing out or FOMO for short on the newest technology. There's this fear that they will be left behind with old legacy technology. However, in most cases, these fear fears are completely unfounded. Still, executives are worried that by being cheap when it comes to IT is going to hurt their established position. Now, some studies of corporate IT clearly show that more spending rarely translates into better company performance. Even the CEO of Oracle, Larry Ellison, has admitted this fact way back in 2002. He said companies should be looking at the way to improve their IT systems while spending less on IT. Most companies spend too much and get very little in return. Now, it seems that the old adage is right. It's not how much you spend, but how well you spend. A good example of this philosophy is uh, Walmart. Walmart never invested in the most state-of-the-art technology, but instead waited until the standards and the best practices were well-established, essentially letting their competitors burden the risk and high costs of the new technology and simply overtook the rivals by spending much less and getting more in return. So it's better to follow than to lead when it comes to IT expenditure. Now, to wrap up this jam-packed episode, because there was a lot to unpack, Um, let's sum this up. So many would argue and believe that IT has become the most transformative technology in history. I would argue that that's just not the case. If you take a look at how companies operated before, you can clearly see that technologies such as electricity, for example, had a much more dramatic impact. And if you disagree, uh, I would ask you, if I forced you to pick between your smartphone or all of your light bulbs or running water in your house, you'd probably get rid of your smartphone, case in point. I'm not saying that 
IT hasn't had a tremendous impact on our society, but companies tend to put IT on a pedestal. IT or any technology is not magically going to solve the underlying and fundamental problem. Just because you buy the most advanced camera doesn't make you a pro photographer or simply buying a Formula One race car doesn't make you Michael Schumacher, as I mentioned before. Technology has the tendency to amplify existing skills and core competencies or the lack thereof. However, there are no shortcuts or free lunches in life, even with today's technology. Furthermore, if companies continue to only focus on digital technology, it automatically implies that they already know the solution before they've identified the underlying customer need. Sure, if all you have is a hammer focusing on digital technologies, everything is going to look like a nail. You know, the solution is always going to be related to digital technologies. You know, see Maslow's hammer for reference. Now, the important thing to remember is this. If you're trying to gain a competitive advantage by solely focusing on technology, you're not only putting blinders on, but also shooting yourself in the foot in the process. What if something that has nothing to do with technology gives you a much more effective and competitive advantage? you'd miss that opportunity to identify this potential solution simply because you are focusing on digital technologies and nothing else. Now, most companies, granted, will completely disregard my recommendations I'm making, but that's to be expected. The majority will always follow the herd and claim they are not, but if you follow the herd, you will eat, well, let's just say it's not grass. So this concludes this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I've added some additional content, long-form articles, videos, and other resources in the show notes. And if you would like to follow us, uh, links are also in the show notes. I'm your host, David Luna, signing off. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and podcast, there's plenty more where that came from. Just head to our website, gammabeyond.com or follow us on LinkedIn. There you will also find long form articles, videos, and other podcast episodes about innovation and transformation. And if I could ask you for one small favor, it would be this. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Overcast, or the podcast app of your choice. It really helps us out and encourages more people to find our podcast. Last but not least, if you have any suggestions for further episodes, topics, or or guests that we should invite in our podcast or just have feedback, let us know by emailing us at info at gammabeyond.com. I've been your host, David Luna. Until next time.